When you're pregnant, you start reading about the cost of having a baby. When you start reading about the cost of having a baby, you learn about the cost of sending that baby to college and immediately start saving all your money in a 529 plan. When you save all your money in a 529 plan, you save no money in your 401k, thinking your son will get a business degree from Harvard and take care of you in retirement. When you think your son will take care of you in retirement, he changes majors and gets a degree in jazz studies. When he gets a degree in jazz studies, he moves back home with you and you have to support him. When you have to support him, you don't get to retire. Don't be forced to work through retirement to support your jazz-loving adult son. Stop investing without a plan and upgrade to Money Talks. This is Money Talks. We're back. An appropriate uh, notion with school back in session. That's true. Yeah, College here is we back, are. and uh, hopefully jazz studies are still a real thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, jazz studies is not what I'm concerned about. It's getting five of them through all that. <laughs> if one of them chooses jazz studies, so be it. Yeah. As long as all five of them don't up. At least them. there'll be music yeah. in Go the GoFundMe page, yeah, maybe? That's right. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, Man, you're welcome. Yeah, how about you know that? what, guys? Next show we'll hey, have man, the that's website what you up get, for you. That's what you get when you hang out with financial planners. Mm-hmm. Right. DJ, he's there got you it go. covered. Yeah, Done. There you go. What else you need? All right, guys. Uh, we do have some interesting financial-related things to talk about this week. Among which are uh, the circumstances uh, around Carl and uh, his. Um, his dissatisfaction with his investment advisor. Jarrett, you never deal with this, do you? Absolutely not. Yeah. Oh, all right. So new to me. So uh, what's this all about? I don't know. I mean, you got the facts just like I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This I is mean, actually I can flesh a really them out since it never happens to you. Very, very relevant case, actually. Yeah, it really is. We might not be talking about from personal experience. This, this, what we've got here today is, you know, Carl, as as Troy said. I mean. He's he's dissatisfied because his return, which happens to be a pretty reasonable return, is trailing the S&P, which was a 7.6% as of August 31st, uh, and his portfolio is up just over 5%. So yeah. I would actually say that's that's not all that uncommon given how – I mean, how many times have we said the past few weeks on the show that – you know, the, the 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 information technology sector is becoming such a substantial portion of just the S&P 500, for sure. instance. Yep. As that grows and it continues to do better, what happens? Well, it gets amplified. Sure. Right? And so then it starts to really skew the benchmarks, or at least what most people consider the benchmark uh, for a lot of things, that being the S&P. And I would, I would say it's probably more often than not not the appropriate uh, benchmark, but – you know, it's it's that's that's where the dissatisfaction is coming from. Yeah, just to add a little bit of context, over the past 12 months, the S&P 500 is up 19.2 percent. The information technology sector, which makes up a little over 26 percent of the S&P 500 now, is up 30.43 percent. Yep. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anybody who's just focused on one sector. And, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that might work in technology or, you know, be, be very honed in on uh, technology, mm-hmm. uh, have done well if, if they've overweighted their portfolio. But think about it. 26% is made up of, you know, technology. that sector, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the overall index. Uh, and if you're more than 26%, 
That's quite the concentration, huh? Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, and again, as it continues to do well, it's like not only has it now become such a substantial part of the index itself, but it's continuing to do well. So that really, again, is amplifying the returns for that. And then, you know, what we're most clients, most of our clients especially, have a a more diversified portfolio than what you might consider the S&P 500 to be. Uh, they would naturally be trailing. And, and I say naturally because you wouldn't expect to be keeping up with the S&P when you're not taking on as much risk as the S&P. Right. You're not being compensated right. those additional uh, basis points or percentage points of a return uh, when, when you're not taking on as much risk, nor would you want to, which is why I really, I really like this topic in this case right now because we have been having this conversation with clients lately where it's like, Look, if you're focused on the the returns of the S&P 500, which again is probably not the best benchmark for you to use anyways, but do you is is it really worth it to you to jeopardize everything that you've built, this nest egg that you worked your entire life to accumulate all over a couple of percentage points when, you know, b- because you're not getting that much, you're also protecting your portfolio to a larger extent because you have minimized that risk through the diversification that you have. And quite frankly, those that have not rebalanced and still have such a s- substantial uh exposure to information technology, I think, are going to be hit very, very hard uh, when we do eventually see this next downturn. Yeah. Uh, what you've got to think about, and Jared, you talked in, in terms of risk, um, you, you know, taking more risk. Uh, one thing, if you're if you're not as diversified as, as an overall index, that index is actually made up uh, of the 500 largest companies in the United States, obviously, but it's also uh, allocated among sectors by market cap, the the 500 largest companies are, um, you know, their their weight is determined by their market cap. What is mm-hmm. market cap? It's the price of the stock uh, times the number of shares that are that are available. So the market cap actually becomes an economically viable weighting um, for, uh, you know, to give you kind of an index as to how well the economy might even be doing. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, when you do that. Uh, you look at the prices of those uh, technology sector companies, and they are a lot more volatile. And, and what are we talking about with volatility? It's usually measured with a standard deviation. I'm not going to get any deeper than that. But basically, volatility means that the prices of those shares, those technology companies' shares, actually move up and down more frequently and in a, a bigger magnitude uh, than the overall index itself. Mm-hmm. So you should expect that when things are good, they're going to move higher, faster. But when they turn against you, they can move down yeah. much quicker, too. I mean, think <laughs> about what happened in, in uh, 99 and 2000. The, you know, market top during the the uh, tech bubble was uh, March 24th of 2000. At that point, technology was a, was a pretty big part of uh, of the overall index as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the next, the course of the next two or three years, uh, you saw a significant decline. In fact, it wasn't until uh, after it was like 2013 or 14 that the Nasdaq, a very tech-heavy index, finally regained its all-time high, which had been made in 2000. You waited <laughs> 13 years to right. have, you know, just because 
uh, prices in technology have gotten so out of whack. It's time. much it's much more meaningful on the downside. Most people don't realize right. that, and it's why they end up playing catch-up when times are good versus actually making progress because I'm telling you, the, the excessive risk or the excessive returns, which is what that, that you know comes about from the risk, is going to be excessive on the downside too. So keep that in mind. You, know, you take excessive risk, you, you position yourself to incur some substantial losses on the other side. Yeah. So, DJ, when we last left... We were talking about Carl and uh, his dissatisfaction with his investment advisor. Uh, basically, he's wanting to overweight information technology. And, uh, you know, I, I always liken this to uh, driving in your rearview mirror. It's, mm-hmm. it's not really the, the safest thing to do. Uh, same thing with your, your portfolio trying to invest. Right. Catch, the, uh, catch the, the last hottest stock or last hottest sector. Uh, Dr. Gene used to say, yeah, it's it's up. We better hurry up and buy it before it goes down. Right. It's kind of a backwards <laughs> way to think about investing. What yeah. we prefer to do is look at the fundamentals, uh, the fundamentals being uh, earnings underlying these securities. And, and let's face it, uh, you know, I look at this stuff all the time. Uh, prices quite often outstrip the growth in, uh, in earnings. So, you know, what is truly, uh, as an investor, what we want is cash flow. Every single time, that's the bottom line. We want to we want to have more cash in the future uh, than we have today, and we do that by investing in things that we believe will bring us that cash in excess of the money that we paid mm-hmm. to uh, uh, access that cash flow stream. Uh, so, you know, if you're if you're looking backward and you see all these stocks that have gone up it doesn't mean that you know all of them are going to just absolutely collapse it's not the case we're making at all but when you look at certain things uh in in technology you can uh scratch your head for a long time trying to make sense out of just why the price is where it is and that's what I think we, we kind of deal with now with some of our clients and potential clients when when we're they're calling in they don't want to they don't want to trim back or sell anything that's obviously at a game to where it is sure but we've also had a heck of a bull run. It's right. been many years of following, you know, in, in essence, following that, you know, that high percentage increase. Oh, my goodness, sure. I want that 19, I want 20, I want 21% increase every year, year after year. Right. And that's just not going to continue to happen. Right. We're not going to continue to see those returns. You know, so one, you know, to what Jared said, you know, do you want to take that risk to continue to follow that return? Right. And then, you know, I know a lot of times we, they talk about, you know, clients are calling in and they want these leveraged ETFs. Sure. You know, some of these are up 30%, 35% for the year. Well, again, going into a 10-year market that the market's done pretty well, is now the time to, to look at those type of ETFs? I mean, is this, you know, yeah. where do we yeah. want to go? Yeah, not, <clears throat> only are you, not only are you buying into a sector that's uh, that uh, tends to have been overweighted, Over. mm-hmm. uh, you're also buying in with leverage, meaning that uh, while it goes up twice as fast, it could also so fall significantly faster. Yeah. yeah. Well, at, at the heart of all this, this case and, and our conversations with clients and everything, I think is it, it keeps coming back to why do you want to do that? Do you need the risk? Because, I mean, a lot of times when we're looking at financial plans, we see folks that actually do need additional risk that, that would serve themselves well to take on the additional risk because they need that in order to make their money last them, where the majority, I would say, uh, of our clients, uh, we find through their financial plans that they don't need the risk. And so let's just say, for example, if the plan shows us that you only need a, a 5 to 7% annualized rate of return in order to make your money last you, then do you want 20%? Sure you do. 
But do you need 20%? No. So why are you then going to expose all this that you've worked your entire life for to this excessive risk unnecessarily when, you know what, it can still be invested. We saw that uh, a couple of years ago with equity income uh, plays that we had. A lot of the fixed, sure. traditional fixed income investors moving towards these companies that, that look like a bond in a lot of respects. And yeah, pay a they, dividend. Yeah, uh-huh. they did very well. You know, I mean, you're talking about stocks that are up 20% for the year. They were at they the time. That, that's not the expectation every year, right? Absolutely so not. You, still, you still stand to participate in market rallies. You still stand to do very well, but it just astonishes me the number of people that still want to jeopardize their entire nest egg in hopes of just doing more return. Yeah, and, and maybe it's the inherent greed in all of us. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know why, particularly if you were someone who's in retirement, would be willing to, to risk your portfolio more than you might necessarily need to simply to keep up with a benchmark that's that's going to be more risky than you know how you would prefer to see it. You, you can't have the best of both worlds, right? right? So so chasing this just to chase it is crazy to me. I I would love to see you get twenty percent a year, but in order to do that, there's a lot of risk you're going to have to take on. If you don't need to take on the risk, don't do, don't it. do it. And that's what I would say to Carl here if he came to me with dissatisfaction about his year-to-date return. Is look. Part of this is due to the protection aspect that you don't see. And, sure. and the reason you might not be keeping up with the S&P is because we've gotten to a point now, to, to DJ's point earlier, about not not risking these assets as much given this 10-year you know, bull market that we've been in, you know, essentially. Why, why continue at this point after all the gains that have been had? Do you really want to risk everything that you've made? Uh, just to just to try to keep up with a market that's irrelevant to you, uh, yeah. I, I encourage clients to stay away from it. It's hard to say to somebody, look, that, that's you don't need to keep up with the S and P. Your financial plan shows that you, yeah. you don't need that much risk uh, or returns, rather. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that it's something that's very very important to keep in mind because too often. We find that people are trying to keep up with the market returns, uh, and while they may be a benchmark, uh, it, it does not necessarily mean that you need to be taking on that risk. Do it may not be your thing. benchmark. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Surely not a suitable benchmark yeah. for you. Yeah. The, I mean, one of the other things, just before we leave this topic, is, uh, uh, you know, you're talking about active portfolio management, meaning that you're not trying to specifically follow the uh, the index, whatever the index might be. The right. S&P 500 is the most commonly used benchmark uh, within the financial industry. So, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's all well and good if you wanted to, to uh, try to follow that benchmark. But what you tend to see with active portfolio managers is they might trail uh, as the market goes higher, um, but they also trail as the market declines. If mm-hmm. you look at times of uh, uh, of recession, where you know in our last recession the S and P 500 lost 52 percent, I guarantee you, you can look at many, many, many active portfolio managers, and they didn't lose nearly as much as that. And sure. I think to the point about taking too much risk, that is one of the major uh, components of of portfolio management, trying to protect the purchasing power that you've built through the growth in your portfolio. So uh, to me, it's as important, maybe more so, uh, than than worrying about uh, my portfolio is not up enough. Look, man, S&P 500 is up 19% over the past 12 months. If you think about uh, what its long-term 
average return is, it's about 10.5%, a little better than that. Uh, and then you look at information technology that's up 30% in the past 12 months. Those are awesome returns, both of them, sure. obviously. Yeah. Uh, technology almost triple the long-term average of the S&P 500. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's not going to happen year after year after year after year. The, the more it becomes a part of the S&P 500, guess what? The less you're mm-hmm. going to see growth in that that particular aspect. So, you know, it's uh, I think it's a good conversation to have. It is one that, uh, that we get a good bit these days. But, um, you know, all things considered... Diversification, I think there's a lot to be said for it. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, We'll be back in a few minutes. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.